Hello and welcome to The Gibby Community, a sonic space for empathy and kindfulness. This episode is a re-release of Gibby Connect Plus, the previous name of this podcast, with Neil Mater, the CEO of Gibby and the chair of Water Harvest, a charity based in the UK supporting water harvesting efforts in the north of India. I've re-released this episode because we have some news. To support the ongoing efforts of Water Harvest, they have received a golden ticket entrant into the London October Marathon. They will be announcing their runner soon and the links to support them. So keep an eye out on our socials for updates and I'll update the description as soon as things are live. So now, here's our former host, Fiza Sahil, introducing Neil. He'll tell us a bit more about Water Harvest and what they do. For 30 years, Water Harvest has worked with 1.6 million people in 1,562 villages to harvest 1.3 billion liters of water. They have led the way in sustainable water sources that work with the natural environment and provide benefits for the entire community, particularly women and girls, who are often forgotten. Water Harvest has made it its mission to work with the most disadvantaged people in the most desolate areas to provide a sustainable water source that truly makes every drop count. A very warm welcome to Neil. Thank you so much for joining us today in this episode of Givey Connect Plus. Can I please ask you to start us off by introducing yourself, the work that you do, and the various projects that you have been involved in over the last couple of years? Oh, thank you. A very good introduction. Thank you very much. My name is Neil Mater. I've been in the technology world for a long time, since I graduated. But the last 20 years or so, I've been spending more and more time in doing either tech for good projects or involved in philanthropic work. And on that side, I have been a trustee and a fundraiser and a volunteer, all kinds of roles I've done over the last 20 years. One, always one particular charity in the UK, which is called Frederick's Foundation, and that does uh, coaching and mentoring and providing a bit of funding for highly disadvantaged people to get back on their feet and get into self-employment and promote self-esteem and so forth. We've been doing for 20 odd years in the UK. And then I've been involved in uh, Water Harvest for the last four or five years. Prior to that, I was involved in a, a, a charity which was building safe schools for children in East Africa and Nepal and Cambodia. So I've been involved in, in, in some shape or form in sustainable ways of creating education and safe environments. And Water Harvest is a charity that's been around for 30 years, as you said. And uh, I came in through a, a, a phase of change, I suppose, to the next reiteration of doing the good work that they do. So I think that's kind of a quick summary. Okay, thank you so much. When I was going through the Givy page of Water Harvest, I saw quite a few projects, both private fundraisers and also one of the biggest, I think, projects that is with Water Harvest, which is called the Monsoon Promise Appeal. So if you could just tell us more about this project in particular, the story behind it and some of the motivations that went behind crafting this project and where you've gone through so far. 
Okay. Just a, a bit of context on water harvest from a point of view of why it exists. And if I just describe that most of the semi-arid desert regions around the world, and in particular in India, it's in the, the north, Rajasthan, Gujarat. And when you go across that area, the rainfall is normally no more than anything between two weeks to maybe two months maximum in a year. So I think that context people need to understand that's the only time it rains. So to be able to capture that just for drinking alone is good enough for that region. So that's that's one context. The second one is that, unfortunately, culturally, it's actually the girls and the women who actually go and fetch water. And some of these places that they fetch water, you're talking about a rural women walk an average of anything between three to five miles a day just to fetch water every day. So you can, if you can imagine if that is the life of a girl, child, or by the time they're 16 or whatever, they get married and then they carry on until they die. So to me, that's a prison. They've got no, no way of getting out of that cycle. So that's one of the reasons why this appeal that we're talking about is an ongoing appeal because we've got that if you multiply the number of villages and so forth, you know, we're just scratching the surface. So it's an enormous area. And then the other thing is obviously that when you calculate the numbers, a third of their life is actually just walking and fetching water. So I think the work we do just by creating the roof water rafting system, a decent monsoon that can capture about 21,000 litres in a, in a tank, and that's enough clean drinking water alone, just clean drinking water for a family of four to six people for a whole year. And that's the difference. Thank you so much. That's such an amazing story. And it's so much lost productivity. And these girls might have so much potential. And it's amazing that you guys are working on it. So just coming into the donation parts of it and offering support and contribution, just in terms of that, is it simply restricted to monetary support or is there other ways that people can perhaps contribute to this amazing mission of water harvest? There's a number of different ways, but obviously for a small charity, donations is the lifeblood. And we get donations in a number of different ways. So, you know, we get donors who give us monthly direct debits and we have uh, trusts and foundations who are specifically targeting international developers who give us funding. And then we've got through fundraising events, whether it's walking, cycling. Then we have a lot of volunteers who do events for us, book clubs and uh, dinner nights and cakes and church uh, festivals, etc. And then we've got volunteers who just purely visit the schools on our behalf locally and talk about work we do, universities in terms of talks. And we have, in the past, actually taken students to do water walks on these amazing step wells and things that you have in India, which is hugely going back 15,000 years. So some amazing things that are there. And we get people who go and visit our projects of their own accord because they, that's what they want to do. So there's lots of different avenues. And probably the kind of new area, we're getting a lot of younger people involved is obviously because of the digital, everyone going digital. So we've got them volunteering to help with creating some social media presence and helping us promote our stories and create videos and things like that. But we're not a big organisation, so, so whoever volunteers should be able to roll their sleeves up and actually be proactive in helping us do that because 
we're a small team. It really sounds like there's so many different avenues that people can get involved in these amazing projects. So obviously you said before that this is like an ongoing appeal and not just like a limited time, but we're, we're continuing this for the long term. So is there like a deadline that you want to raise these funds by or people can just continue showing support along the way? Sure. A, a roof water harvesting system costs about £300 and that's a lifetime of water. It literally is for that. Each one of them creates a family of four to six individuals coming out of out of that poverty of having clean water so the appeal is ongoing because the the particular purpose is huge in terms of what the need is so i don't think that is something that we're going to even maybe resolve in my lifetime because of the uh, the sheer scale of it and we are only talking about rajasthan and gujarat which is two states of the whole of india <laughs> that there are lots of other areas we have we are we are not even there and then part of the monsoon appeal also is that eventually when we release the girls from not fetching, an amazing thing happened because they're, they're actually, they go to uh, school. They suddenly are free to go to school and get education. And the journey that happens after that is, you know, it's amazing. I've seen that journey all the way through in the last five years of what change that has made to the girl, the, the women, the men, the whole whole of that generation in terms of how how it changes in being from the poorest to the poor to being self-sustaining to being able to make some cash crops to be able to afford to send their goods to so-called semi-private schools or go a bit further away in in india there's no such thing as private schools but is this enabling things that happen and that change happens dramatically as soon as they've got that freedom of time which is which is the key yeah, just like you said, it's the sheer scale of it. And hopefully this mission like spreads out towards the other areas and these girls can definitely get the much needed education. And we're just going to go deeper into your work a little bit and go into the nitty gritty details about some of the challenges, like the obstacles that you faced over the years. So starting off from when the the project first started and also to the most recent events, if you could just tell us some of the obstacles that you faced and how you overcame them and perhaps some of the advices or some of the learning experiences that you'd like to share with the people if they could learn um, something from your experience. So one of the key principles that I've learned is actually paraphrase it, don't cut and paste. So we sometimes think in the West that we know really well we know technology, we know how to do things, and we are innovators, we know the process and systems. So one of the key elements is that if you try to do that bang, you know, cut and paste it and it will work, it doesn't. Because one of the key ingredients you're missing is A, the cultural dimension, and the second one is that they themselves have such phenomenal knowledge that's been handed down from generations, and that is as good as us coming with some technology to say, oh, this is good practice. So I think one of the big lessons is, is that don't just come and say, dictate or just say, this is, this is best and this is how it work. Listen to the forefathers who told them how to. They were there centuries ago. That was desert and they survived and created their own water systems. It's just we've forgotten, that's all. And the second thing is take the cultural dimension into place so you know really simple things to give you an example you know we build this underground tank with the water harvest from the roof water going into the into the tank 
one of the things is that you want to keep it clean as around it as much as you can because obviously there's dust and whatever and it's quite interesting that you can tell them but ultimately a lot of them are uneducated and they don't understand that that contamination and you know that those kind of things but each each one each cultural dimension that was so in one place of Rajasthan they really respect trees so you plant the tree they respect near the water source and they'll keep it clean because they have to keep it clean because it's religious in another place is a deity or a statue that you put that in the tank it'd be spotless learning that there's ways of doing these things just not just a piece of paper to say this is health and safety and you know this is what you need to do so you take that into account so i think that's one thing another thing is remoteness you don't really appreciate the scale of the remoteness you know one of the places we do a project is in Kutch in, in Gujarat is 100 kilometers of nothing until you get to this kind of oasis. So try to understand that you can't, again, what you might do in the east of Rajasthan to what you do on the west of Rajasthan across the whole state is very different. Some land is, is totally salty, some is mountainous and rocks and porous rocks. And whatever. So all these aspects is within one state, let alone the country. And that, that from a Western point of view, even I kind of find it quite alien sometimes that, look, you know, it's very much that way around. But the other flip side is as soon as the water is in the house and not five miles away, it changes dramatically. And the women become all powerful, <laughs> basically, you know, very proud of their little area of their house and girls going to being educated, then forming user groups they get together automatically very entrepreneurial they will start to support each other and create ways of saying oh well we've got some free time can we do something you know can you weave something but can we do you're kind of liberating this creative process and a thought process of them being able to look outwards and 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 for the betterment of the whole as always they are the ones who are making sure that that unit is really really functional and so i think there's always issues that the monsoons, it sounds as if it's regular, but it isn't in, in any particular five-year period. You could have two very good years and two bad years and one okay year. And, and that alone is quite dramatic. So it's not as if it's regular every year. So that has a huge impact as well. Because if they don't get any water, any rain, then they are actually at the mercy of loan sharks who actually uh, sell them water which they can't afford, and then they borrow money and they get in that vicious cycle. So there's a lot of dimensions, very simply, creating just enough water to drink suddenly releases all these different tensions in the system for them to be in a place where they, they, they start to be self-sustaining. From then on, there's all kinds of other things that do drip irrigation, and then you know they do their own food and vegetable growing, and then they expand into doing it so they can sell some of it and etc uh, etc et so it just it kind of evolves over a period of time and i've seen that now in the last four or five years all of those things happening there's a there's a dramatic shift in what happens in in their self-esteem and what they can do and the men change as well slowly slowly they change as well eventually <laughs> Absolutely. There's so many amazing and relevant points that you raised in that. And lastly, if you could perhaps share with us one quote or one motto that you took away from partaking in this initiative, or perhaps any quote or motto that you live by as you work alongside Water Harvest. I think I've always liked Gandhi in terms of what he stood for. 
some of the things that he said. You must be the change you wish to see in the world. So I think that really is a very powerful thing from my perspective. And I kind of interpret it slightly differently because that was for that time. And I'm very much always conscious of moving on with the time. So that, that kind of resonates. But something that I thought about because I'm in the technology world, applying it to the modern day, it's like live for what's worth dying for and leverage technology to create the world you wish to see. So this that's my modern version of something that he's just talked about because we get away from that we are your generation is is totally technology embracing and i think that needs to be the way that i interpret this in the context of today the statement of water harvest or the tagline every drop counts says everything about what it is about every drop is precious when you don't have it on your tap is very much the the essence of water harvest but anyone who has lack of water in any shape or form the basic need that is god-given right for everyone to have for free without money absolutely making every drop count and also keeping up with the times both of them really great mottos and thank you for sharing that with us and just looking on from here onwards just your journey ahead is there particular projects you're working on at the moment or some short-term goals that Water Harvest uh, wants to achieve? So if you could share that with us as well. We want to take what we've learned for 30 years and maybe take that into some other territories of India as well, if we can. And obviously technology, again, digital plays part in how we communicate and how we tell the story of these things. And that's another agenda item to connect a modern way of being able to scale this a way that is still effective on the basis that we as a charity, you know, I'm very proud to say that we over 80p, 83, 84 pence in a pound that's given by donor goes straight to the ground or where it belongs. So our cost of running the operation needs to be as low as possible because I, you know, I've been a donor, I'm sure everyone has been a donor but you want to know where, how much of that actually gets to where it's supposed to go to. And you want to cut out any of these wastage or any of these huge costs of running these kind of things from, from a point of view that that's what a donor is paying for all the time. And sometimes that transparency is not there. So I'm very focused on that, making sure that we continue to have that transparency and collaborative way of working with all our stakeholders. So it's not about just the donor. It's just not about the receiver. It's all about the whole community, how we all interact and that isn't done in a transparent way. So I think that that kind of is the, the mantra in terms of carrying this forward. Absolutely. And they all sound like very exciting projects and just about the one that you said to shifting it to Africa. All the very best for that. And I hope all of the successes come your way and future adventures. Thank you so much for your time today, Neil. It's It's been a wonderful... No, Faisal, you're doing... Uh, I, I, I think you're doing some phenomenal work and I, I'm so blessed. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank really you appreciate it. That was Fiza Sahil and Neil Mater discussing Water Harvest. Like I said, keep an eye out on our socials. We are Gibby HQ on everything for the announcement of the Water Harvest Marathon Runner. 
and you can tune in to our next episode where you'll hear me talking to a civil engineer from Water Harvest based in India.